paper cups inside of plastic cups. Welcome to Plastic Cups, Inside Paper Cups, Inside Plastic Cups. I'm Dennis Wilson, and this is... Omar Rabadi. Omar, have you ever owned a car in your entire life? Yeah, I have. Uh, first car I owned was a hand-me-down from my brother. If you're listening, thanks, Sal. Uh, 1986 Chevrolet Chevy Celebrity, I think it was. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, it was huge. And I think I was 17 or 18. And then the next car I owned after that one broke down was a Ford Escort. I don't remember the year. And, yeah. But I, I haven't owned a car since I think I was 21 or 22. Since when I was a commuting college student from my parents' house to Penn State, Lehigh Valley, I had a car and then went off to Penn State main campus, didn't need a car anymore. And then, yeah, haven't owned a car since then. Yeah, never, I've never seen you drive. And I figured I usually start off the podcast by just asking you how you are, and I just want to change it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of tired of answering that question anyway. So. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I actually drove a car on the highway for the first time in a while on Father's Day to go see my parents on Father's Day. It's the first time in a while I've, I mean, I drive my parents' car every once in a while around Allentown. It was the first time doing like a long trip. It was a lot more physically tiring than I thought it would be. It's Are only you nervous? Like, a little bit. I mean, I was back in the groove of it after a little bit, but like those first 10, 15 minutes were probably, probably a good thing I survived those first 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> until I got back in the hang of it, so. Nice. Well, besides that, what else is going on? Uh, not too much. It's today's July 9th, 2020. Uh, another summer, summer Thursday night, 2020. Tomorrow's Friday, so that's kind of nice. Uh, you know, situ- we don't have to bemoan it too much. COVID situation is... Get, it feels like it's getting bleaker, so that's a little bit frustrating. But, you know, we talked about that a lot last week. Uh, how, how are you doing? I think you just got back from vacation. I think you're going on vacation again tomorrow. Is that right? That's right. Going back on vacation, uh, you know, starting tomorrow at 5 o'clock, I guess, or technically 2 o'clock. I have summer hours, but I'm probably going to work till like 4 or 5 because I'll be gone for a week. Um, but, yeah, going up to Lake George in upstate New York. Got a, okay. lake, got a lake house up there with a few people. Yeah, you're quite the, you should write a book about upstate New York. I feel like you <laughs> know upstate New York really well. Or you should be on like the commercial for upstate New York of like promoting it. Hmm, that's a good idea. I could, yeah, because I could be, I'm like a foreign diplomat. I bring people from Philadelphia up to upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, like I probably would never have went to, uh, that far upstate New York in my life, if it wasn't for your bachelor party and your wedding. So yeah, yes, yeah, spreading yeah. spreading the gospel of upstate New York. <laughs> That's right. Cool. So what do we got on the table? 
Uh, why don't we start with some mailbag questions, then we got some topics. All right. And uh, just a reminder, everybody, please send us your mailbag questions. We'd love to hear from you. Plastic cups inside paper cups at gmail.com. Send us your mailbag questions. Please do. All right. This one is from Ira Eckelman. Since you two are the self-proclaimed experts on pickles and know everything about pickles, can you explain to me the saying, you really got yourself in a pickle? Doesn't really make sense to me. You can't like get in a pickle. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know the origin, but I'm going to speculate that, you know, what you, you kind of, you, you put pickles in a jar you, to brine them and pickle them, and then you, you kind of jam them in every which way, whatever you, way you can, to get as many pickles in there as you can. And then sometimes it can be tough to get a pickle out. So it's like, you're like, and you know, or, or when you have just one left and it's like floating in there, and you're trying to grab it with your fingers, but the jar is too deep. I think it's just like, sometimes it can be difficult to get a pickle out. Um, so I guess you're not getting into a pickle technically, but you're like, you know, it's a, a pickle jar like experience that makes sense yeah that was kind of what my guess was too that it was just instead of saying you really got yourself in a pickle jar like it was the jar was just left out to make it more efficient i yeah i don't know the answer either uh we can we can get back to them next episode after we have our research assistants look into it for us yeah yeah we'll follow up for sure all right, next mailbag question. Hey, boomers, why don't you just relax about the fireworks and the firecrackers in Philadelphia leading up to 4th of July? People are just having fun, blowing off some steam. So what if there's firecrackers going off like every 10 minutes? Okay, boomers. <laughs> Got called boomers twice. <laughs> well, I, I, we're definitely not boomers, but I, I get the sentiment. Um, I'm not usually a complaining type of guy, but um, it's not like leading up to July. It was or July 4th. It was started at the beginning of June, so it's been over a month of fireworks. Um, and it's one thing to like. I, I don't know. I think fireworks are. I used to love them as a kid. I don't mind, I wouldn't mind shooting them off, but I don't get a real kick out of like watching them. I think it's a big waste of money and like kind of pollutes, like litters the ground with all this crud, especially adults. I can't understand how, why adults get so worked about, about it. It's just, I don't know. It just seems so dumb. Like it, I'm not saying I hate them, but like I, I'm not going on my way to, to see fireworks. And then if I'm not even watching them, they're like waking me up or they're just, you know, um, making me feel anxious um, I don't, I don't get any value out of that. And they're just stupid. Yeah. I, I kind of do see the emailers point though. Like they're sort of in the background. They're making noise. They're a little bit annoying. And I was the one who brought it up, but, but I, I don't think this emailer understands like how it's like every 10 minutes, like, there's another firecracker. There's another firecracker. And it's, and you're just kind of like, Oh my God, another one. Yeah. Walk a mile in our shoes. I, I doubt that they're living in a place where that's happening. Um, yeah, he's probably one of 
a listener from upstate New York where even if someone sets off a firework, there's no one close enough to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this this guy. Seems like calling us boomers is just looking to rile us up. Yeah. All right. Uh, won't we have this as our, our last mailbag question? Steve Sheckles. What is healthier? If I have 16 ounces of ice cream in the freezer, to eat it all in one shot or to eat 5.33 ounces a day for three consecutive days? I would assume the latter. I mean, it would be healthier. Um, because the whole idea is that you can eat some fat and sugar, but it's when you have an excess that it piles up in your body. And that then if you kind of spread it out, you're at least spreading out and, and kind of burning it. But I don't know. I'm not a nutritionist. That's just kind of an educated guess, I guess. Yeah. So my friends who did the Atkins diet, I feel like they would say it's better to eat it all in one shot because they would be advocates of that cheat day thing where it's like, well, you have one cheat day and you can only gain so much weight in one day. But I, I also don't know the answer. I would say one caveat is if you eat it all in one day, are you going to like find some other snacks the other days to eat instead of the ice cream? So I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't worry too much about it as long as it's not like a weekly thing or uh, every couple of days. Well, 16 ounces of ice cream seems, I don't know. It's a bit excessive. Like, Cool out on the ice cream, like that's that's probably like a you know one of those Hagen Dazs little mini tubs you get. Like just eat half that. You don't need the whole thing. Yeah, because you know sixteen ounces is more than like you know your dinner is probably somewhere around like twelve ounces of varied things. Yeah. So sixteen ounces of ice cream is like drink a drink dinner point two yeah, five. Eat half. No, drink a half. Drink a big glass of water and then eat half the ice cream. You'll feel full. Yeah, yeah, if you can fill yourself up with water. Yep. That's the way to go. Yep. All right, so that's all we got for mailbag stuff. Uh, should we go to our first topic? Yeah, let's hit the first topic. On, we're going to talk about cities, right? Yeah, so the topic is, well, cities become less important, less desirable places to live in post-COVID-19, or assuming there's a vaccine and things go back more or less to normal, will they recover or even boom? Uh, Let me throw this hypothetical at you to kind of get in the frame of mind. Let's say your employer tells you, hey, you're going to be working from home permanently. Your wife has the same deal. But, you know, you're still going to have to work on East Coast time. But are you going to, would you stay in Philadelphia or would you be inclined to say, I don't know, go somewhere south or go to upstate New York or live a more rural lifestyle? Yeah, we, we've actually talked about this, uh, my wife and myself, and we wouldn't permanently abandon the city. But we have talked about, um, we, you know, we've talked about for a long time, wouldn't it be great to have a lake house that we could spend long periods of time in during the summer? 
Um, and where? You guessed it, upstate New York in the Figure Lakes. Um, so we have discussed in light of like, oh yeah, what if we're like, you know, we're able to be remote um, or it's much easier to, to negotiate? Because I thought about, well, I'll put in my time and then I'll get some leverage and I'll be like, I'll negotiate um, remote work for like three months a year as well as like throughout the year or something like that, like every other week or whatever I wanted to do. Like, so that was already something I thought about. I'm not saying I'm going to try to execute that right away. Um, and I think that it's a lot, it will be a lot easier to negotiate because it's people, employers, some who, which didn't understand like older, like people in the workplace didn't understand that you could actually work remote, like depending on the company. And then, and then it just doing it, practicing it and, and still delivering results, then it's a lot harder for them to fall back and like, well, the job has to be here. Um, so I, I do think it will make it easier for that kind of thing to happen. And, and yeah, we would, we would strongly consider, um, you know, we still need to buy a house. We're going to plan on buying a house still in Philly, so we're not going anywhere, but, you know, eventually buying a, like a lake house somewhere and, 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 and having two residences and like renting out one when we're not there. What do, you, what do you think about, from a larger societal perspective, uh, so this is an assumption, maybe it's not even true, but maybe working remote is going to just be a, way more common than it was pre-COVID-19. Do you think that combined with the fact that cities like New York City uh, got hit so hard by the infectious disease and people might be scared of future infectious diseases that cities are just in general gonna be less desirable places to live? Or do you think we're gonna, as a society, just sort of bounce back and, you know, not that everybody wants to live in cities and not that cities were doing great in the United States compared to the rest of the world as far as, you know, people wanting density, but, will things sort of revert to the norm or do you think just people aren't really going to want to live in big cities that much anymore, at least dense big cities? Yeah. So when I first saw this article, I was like, uh, my, my gut reaction was like, no, it's like people are just like going to come right back. Right. But then I started looking at some of the, the larger trends. I didn't, I guess, realize that, um, you know, people have been, depopulating urban centers, metropolitan areas, as much as they have, especially, you know, I think this is overplayed a bit on, it was talking about like, you know, cause this is New York times are talking a lot about New York city where there has been a lot of people fleeing the, the, the most densely populated areas because like the rents have gotten so high. Um, but they have, you know, in that article, they indicated that it, that, you know, overall metropolitan areas of many sizes, like I guess midsize and, and large and the largest have all seen a decline over the past decade. I think, I forget what the number was. So there's that factor. And then the, the other part of the question is you're asking is like, um, are people like remote work? Is it going to be a, is it going to continue, is it going to come back to normal? And I think I actually have studied this quite a bit for work because Comcast um, business you know, serves businesses and corporations, which are, you know, they have central headquarters and then they have branches. And so that's the way it's been for the most part. And so we are going to, we, you know, there's a lot of research out there talking about 
you know, surveying CFOs and workplace studies saying almost like that they expect that they will not return to pre-COVID levels of headquarter-based work. It will be increased permanently by a percentage of five to 10 to 20. I can't re- recall exactly. I mean, there's different numbers out there, but it will definitely be significantly higher. I believe Twitter anecdotally uh, said, I think it was Twitter said, you don't have to ever come back to work at, at in the office if you don't want to. So I think those things combined that if there's already kind of this trend, you know, that people were kind of departing from the city um, and then there's no need to be tied. I think that that's going to be huge. Um, you know, maybe there are other factors that will balance that out. There's a lot of cities that are, I don't know if you, if I hadn't seen this article and seen some of the studies related to it, I would guess that cities were becoming more populated because it seems like at least in Philadelphia, more and more neighborhoods are becoming developed and there's more density and more things going on. And so just looking at our own environment, I would say, Oh yeah, it's growing, but I don't know how Philadelphia stacks up here. Um, but what's your, your take? I don't know. You seem like a, a city dweller, so it doesn't seem like you're going anywhere. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. And my guess is if this is affected, the situation makes people less interested in living in cities. It's going to be because they can work from home and they don't have to live in the city or live in a suburb close to the city. But I don't, you know, these infectious diseases tend to be, I don't know, one in every hundred year events. I know there were a couple smaller you know, there have been other issues since between the Spanish flu and COVID-19, but I, you know, I think things will tend to go back to normal. And, you know, there's this, this COVID-19 situation, it's unprecedented for us because we've never experienced anything like it, but it's not that unprecedented throughout human history. Uh, you know, we talked about, I think, Marcus Aurelius in, Aurelius in the first episode of this podcast. And one of the things he dealt with as emperor of Rome was a plague way worse. At least there were a lot less people back then, but a plague that was way worse per capita than what we've been going through. And Rome continued to flourish after that. Uh, European cities bounced back after the Spanish flu. I think cities will bounce back. They might be transformed in a way, but it could be in kind of a cool way. Like imagine Center City and other, Center City, Philadelphia, and other big cities where instead of in the center of the city, there's all of this office space. Maybe there's less office space, but there's something else that's sort of taken the place of corporate offices in Center City because there's not as many corporate tenants anymore. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, from a virus standpoint, I think that, you know, I don't want to be overly optimistic, um, but I think we'll be, you know, for example, I work for Comcast and in a, in a high rise, you know, I had been working in a high rise. I don't think I'll be going back to work until like May of next year. I think that's a good scenario, to be honest. Um, and, and out of a, a, you know, because I'm not essential to be anywhere, you know, um, and, and I think that they'll be appropriately um, cautious. Um, but, um, 
you know, so I think we'll be over the hump of the actual the, the impact of the virus itself. But, you know, going back to the remote work thing, it's, it's a, it's, we're going to, in the, in the next 12 months, and already have like all these major co- companies are building the infrastructure that will support work from home in ways that were not possible. Um, people have also gained the, the, the skill sets and the, the syntax for, you know, video conferencing and those kind of things. Um, so, Again, going back to my earlier point, it's like there's no longer the excuse that, like, not just the excuse, there's now the infrastructure to enable it. So it's there's, you know, everybody's going to have video conferencing tools. You know, they're going to also beef up, like, there's a lot of security concerns of having people work remotely outside of the enterprise network that we're gonna, are going to be resolved. So there won't be a security concern from an IT standpoint. Um, you know, bandwidth will be fortified. Uh, a lot of, like, uh, you know, enterprise networking companies are uh, launching these products around supporting bandwidth, uh, like business level bandwidth for home offices paid for by the enterprises. So there's going to be this whole new infrastructure where it's going to be like, ah, it's a lot easier to slide somebody in and out as well as, you know, there's a benefit to this for companies is that you can hire talent outside of your geographic area, which is a, a big thing where you can now maybe, compete to with, you know, um, you know, other markets where you couldn't before because you were trying to hire just locally and you were tied to that. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, then maybe, you know, maybe if you hire somebody from a different market and then eventually you can bring them to you. So I don't know, it opens up the talent pool and that's always, that's a good thing for the economy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder if this is true or not, but maybe people just have more energy to put towards their day job if they're not, exhausting themselves to get dressed for work and to commute. Yeah. Commuting is the biggest awful waste of time for human existence. Uh, It's so pointless, especially people who spend their time sitting in a car. Um, It's just, yeah. It's so like, I think that you can feel quite frankly, you know, I I do miss, I think that there's some meetings that would be more effective face to face but I feel as a person now that the, the initial stress of the pandemic hitting and being like, what the heck is going on has somewhat subsided that I feel, I feel just like life is a little bit easier and less stressful. So, you know, I think it's, if, especially if people find that as well, like some people are itching to get back. They love the routine. They love of going into the office. They, they thrive by being around people. Um, I put in my headphones, whether I'm at work or I'm here, and I don't talk a lot to people unless they come talk to me. So, um, you know, it's for different, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I, I do see it, you know, people recalibrating, not just because of the remote work thing, but also just in general, I think people are going to like, just think again about, you know, what their their North Star is for something. So I think, it, you know, there'll be a reshuffling um, as, as the economy recovers um, I think you'll see a lot of people going different places, both geographically and um, for the profession. Yeah, I've gotten so used to the benefits of working from home, which is when I'm done working, I'm not commuting back, just having more time for things like cooking, having my own snacks, my own refrigerator close by, all that type of stuff that it would be it would definitely be a bummer and it'll, it'll happen eventually probably, but it would definitely be a bummer to have to go back to the office and it would, it'll probably make me more inclined to look for, 
a job that's either 100% work from home or at least most of the time work from home. Yeah, cooking is, you know, that's, that's, the, that's one of the biggest things. Like cooking used to be kind of stressful where it'd be like Bo or I would be coming home and, you know, you try to get home early enough um, so that you can cook and get done and eat dinner before it's like nine o'clock. So you can like watch a TV show. And then, you know, so it was always stressful. Like who's going to cook, who's going to get home in time. Um, I'm sure it's much worse with people with kids. who got to, you know, pick up kids and cook for kids and then cook for themselves in some cases. Um, so just that, you know, that transition being like, all right, I'm done whenever you're done for work and you can like, or you can even start something in the oven before you, you're, um, signed off officially. It's just like the, you know, some people find that stressful. They're like, I never know when work ends, but it's like, for me, it's like, I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just log off and then, um, it's not that it's not for me, it's not any different than, you know, logging off at work or logging off at home. Like I get in both situations, it's possible that I get a phone call that there's an emergency, you know, that has to be done or redo something. But uh, to me, I yeah, I've heard people say that too, where they feel like they're always at work if they're working from home. I don't really get that. Though. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this or should we go to our next topic? Let's go to the, the next topic. We'll put the link for that New York Times article. Um, I want to do some more reading. You know, I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, you know, um, there was a really good article in the Atlantic like 10 years ago about kind of the future of cities. It'd be interesting to go back to that, see if things have panned out. But in any case, yeah, let's, let's go to the next topic. Okay, so topic two for today. Is it better to be a wild animal or a civilized human being? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, why don't you take that one first? I'm curious what you think. All right, so I'll just give a few pros and cons that few pros and cons that I think of both. And for a wild animal, I know everybody's listening is probably thinking, well, which animal, well, which human? We're just going to say average for both. Let's say for the animal, you're a deer and you're in a rural part of, I don't know, the United States somewhere where there's a lot of deer, kind of a normal habitat as much as possible. Human being, you're an average human being, not really that worried about starving to death. You're also not a billionaire. Uh, I, the more, I didn't have much of an opinion before I started thinking about this, but I started thinking, the more I thought about it, I was like, well, wild animals have a bunch of advantages. They don't have to worry about a nine to five job. They don't have to watch the news and worry about things halfway across the world. I don't think they think about, I could be wrong about this. I don't think they think about the past as much or worry about the future as much. I think they're just a lot more present. Humans, what advantages do humans have? Maybe a more varied life experience. They get to do a lot of different things. They get to go in planes. They get to travel. They get to play video games, they get to read, maybe paint, maybe they have some weird hobbies. 
they get they get to cooperate a, a lot more but i don't know if that's an advantage or if that's a disadvantage but you know what makes humans different than most other species is they just can cooperate across really far distances and across across varied time so that you know that's why humans are the most powerful animal for better or worse uh so yeah i think it's kind of more fun to just think about the advantages and dis disadvantages than give a straight up answer which is better which isn't but i'll get to that eventually i, I don't know what do you think well, the question was, which is not which is better and which is worse. It's ultimately the question, and we can come back to it, is which would you prefer to be? So, right? Was that the question? Or do I don't remember what I, I don't, yeah, I don't remember exactly <laughs> what I put in the email. I think I, what I have written down in front of me is it better to be a wild animal or a human. Okay, so, okay, so you don't have to make a choice. Um, all right, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think you nail it on the head. You hit it on the head with, um, you know, they seem they're very present, and they're not thinking about the the past and the future. I think because they don't have that really abstract thought. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'd be lying if I hadn't sat there and looked at a dog, and you know, envied the peaceful, Zen look zen like look in their eyes you know i was just thinking about as you said that being present it's like you know when like michael jordan was was in the zone right you would say like all you could see is you were in the very very like second by second occurrence of that moment and that's what that's what like being a deer is all the time you're like you're like jordan <laughs> um but the downside is then you don't have abstract thought and reflection and the, you know, the self-consciousness that is both anxiety inducing and kind of the opposite of Zen, but also what makes it fulfilling to be a human being probably. I don't know. I've never been a deer, but so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's, it's all the, the things you said, but it's like, there's not the, the you know, I have a, it's hard to say though, like who knows what their really existence is really like, but the assumption is that, you know, that they don't have the, because they are just in the now that they therefore not, are not exper experiencing this range of emotions and experience and reflection. So that's, that's the, that's the main, main pros and cons for me. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's probably harder to get your if you're a wild animal. It's probably harder to get yourself in the end in the situation where you're like, "Oh my God, where am I? What am I doing with my life? How can I get out of this situation?" But I also imagine if you're if you do get in that awful situation, it's you. It's harder to use your imagination to try and deal with it and justify it and that type of thing. Wait, a human or an animal? I'm saying an animal, if, let's say you just get a bad set of cards, it's probably harder to figure your way out of it in a way. You can't, at least you can't use your imagination or to, oh, okay. to get out they're, of it. They're, 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 
they're unable to say, what am I doing with my life, right? Yeah, they're unable, so they're unable to say that, but I'm also saying if they, if they get their so, themselves in the equivalent of that, uh, I don't know, maybe they're just, they, they end up in a spot where it's, where it's bad, where it's hard for them to get what they need as for, I guess, food. There's probably less help from other, there might be less help from other animals. There's no sort of like societal right. they can't, safety net. They can't, they can't, if they're in an area where there's like limited food, they only know, you know, like a deer can, will only travel a certain uh, radius or perimeter or whatever. Um, they won't just by habit and whatnot, they, they can't access, there's no knowledge or information to access outside of their own experiences. Whatever's like, the, you know, they'll keep on walking until, you know, but they can't be like, oh, there's a map and I'll go, I'll just keep on walking this one direction and I'll find like, where I, where I understand there's a lot of grass to be eaten. So yeah, they're, they're problem solving skills and there's no, there's no preservation of knowledge. I guess there's some sort of, you know, we, you know, before the written, um, written word for humans, there was, you know, oral history. And so knowledge was shared, you know, these berries are poisonous, these snakes are poisonous, you know, other things are poisonous. Um, but like, so they handed that down from generation to generation. I guess with deer, you know, they are, they do have a shared experience and somehow they are communicating with each other. You know, they, they make sounds for when there's danger coming. Um, it's in a more, I guess, abstract sense of oral. Yeah, and animals, animals do learn things through instincts, too. More, more humans do a little bit, but wild animals have that a lot more where they just something's just passed down genetically where right right you don't need to teach a dog doesn't need to teach a dog how to swim at least dogs that can swim some dogs can't swim or yeah. like duck a duck doesn't need to be taught to swim uh better example um, yeah but but they are also communicate you know i think like the mother deer is you know and if they're a pack uh animals they are teaching each other um i think that's why uh, yeah I ab- absolutely they're and some animals, you know, animals like that do communicate and look after each other in small groups. Yeah. That's why I think we get along well with dogs is they're, they're like us, they're like pack. They keep each other in check and, you know, guide each other in, in some sense. So which is better? I don't know. I got to be, uh, it can't, if, it would be weird if we said animal because then there's no way to become an animal. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with, you know, it's going back to the Zen thing. It's like the, the kind of the idea of like being in Zen Buddhism is being in that moment and like kind of the, like Nirvana is this, uh, for Buddhism is like the sense of like, you know, you're just like, you're totally at peace and there's no like, you're not thinking about anything else, the past or the future. Cause as soon as you, start thinking about things outside of the present is when you cause pain and discomfort in your existence. Um, but that's also like, that would be basically a very, what would I think as a human, you'd consider a kind of a dumb state, you know? Um, so I don't know. I'm going to go with, I think it's better to be a human. I don't think it's better to be one or the other. I think that it's like, 
I want to just change my mind. Like, it's like, I think both are good. I like being a human. Does the fact that humans live longer, does that factor into it? Um, do we live longer than, I guess, if we're talking about deer, but... Yeah, we... I think most animals. I'm sure, I know there's exceptions, but... Um, uh, I didn't even consider that. I don't know. I'm not really a more of a quality over quantity guy, I guess. Um, I mean, it would suck to be, you know, dogs don't live, they live like 10, 15 years. So that would be a bummer. But I don't know, it's really hard to compare. It's like you can't put on like a dog consciousness for a couple of days and see what it's like. Yeah, I'm torn. I'm, I'm very torn. I'm going to, I'm just going to say if I'm reincarnated, I'd like to have the deer experience just to change it up a little bit. Yeah, deer seem, you know, especially if you see, have you ever seen a deer in the woods, like, just boom, like, like not in a, like a petting zoo or a zoo, you ever seen just a deer in the woods? I mean, I, I've seen them around, yeah, I mean, I've seen them around where I grew up, just sort of when they ventured a little too far from their habitat. Yeah, they're very, they seem very peaceful. Yeah, they seem pretty chill. All right, we'll have to put that next to the, the birds. The birds, we said, are good, deer, chill. And, uh, and let's not forget about... Uh, oh, seahorses. Yeah. I don't know how we landed on seahorses. I'm, they're kind of weird. I guess that's where we landed. All right, well, well, we'll definitely revisit this. The benefits of being an animal, the benefits of being a human, I feel like it's going to be a constant theme. Yeah, because we, we have our weekly uh, animal, um, which not maybe weekly, but our segment, recurring segment on the animal, animal of the week. Um, yeah. So that's kind of ties into it. Um, yeah. So uh, should, should we talk, um, one of the things I've been wanting, we didn't get to it last week, was talking about Billions, this, the TV series. Um, so you, you turned me out to the show. Um, yeah, I feel like I should be your TV coach from now on. You should mostly just watch what I recommend since you liked it so much. Yeah, well, I think you, if you didn't recommend it on the pod, the first podcast, because I feel like we did talk about TV because we're like, well, this is what everybody's doing is, is talking about, you know, they're watching more shows because the pandemic had hit. And I don't know if you recommend that on there, but you did mention it at that point. I think what happened was Jensen, one of our listeners, sent us a mailbag question about what to watch. So, Jensen, if you're listening, let us know if you watched Billions after it was recommended to you. Yeah. So, and I didn't, I didn't watch it for a while, but then we were, I think we finished like Ozarks or something and we're looking for something to watch. And and so, so this is on Showtime, right? Yes. Yeah. So I started watching it and I had a, getting into it and then Bo kind of fell off on it. So then I just, you know, when you're watching a show by yourself as, you know, as opposed to as a couple, you don't have to like line up on that time to watch it. So I just like started watching it like aggressively. So I blew through um, the, the fourth season uh, last night. Um, but I haven't talked to anybody about it really, because I, I don't know anybody that watches it. We haven't talked about it. So we got to talk about it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good title for a show, right? Billions. Uh, I feel like in America and probably across the world, we're sort of fascinated and repulsed by billionaires at the yeah, same so, time. So I should probably summarize what it's about real quick. Like, it's about a hedge fund manager um, and um, this guy, uh, Paul Giamatti, plays the guy who's trying to catch him, basically who started out as a... Um, the state attorney. Federal prosecutor. Uh, yeah, federal prosecutor for the uh, Southern District of New York, and then he was the attorney general in New York. Um, and it's about massive corruption. That's what I wanted to talk about. But it's about you know, massive corruption in the financial markets, but as, as well as the people who regulate them. And, you know, there's corruption uh, to be had all around. But like when I first started watching that, I wasn't sure if I was going to continue watching it because it seemed so, you know, uh, hyperbolic, you know. But then I realized, and I was like, well, this is like a bit much. But then I realized that's kind of the point, right? Like at first I was like, well, this is this is incredibly corrupt. There's just corruption like every five minutes. There's like some new scandal that emerges that would be potentially the largest scandal to rock the, you know, the financial market and then happens again and again. Did you get the same sense? Do you f- feel like it's kind of like this hyper-realism of, of corruption in, in financial markets and whatnot? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, the two main characters, Bobby Axelrod, played by Damien Lewis, and Chuck Rhodes, played by Paul Giamatti, they're definitely larger than life characters with large egos who are clashing heads. And I'd say it's not just the corruption in the financial markets, but it's also the corruption on the side of the government. And it's it's interesting because, you know, I feel like the show forces you at times to empathize with both sides. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. What was your question? I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, like the 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 degree of, I, I guess I, I like shows that like it's you know it's kind of feels like a nonfictiony type of show, and so I t- I kind of gravitate to things that are kind of have a high degree of realism, and that's what this felt like when I started watching it. But then all of a sudden it was like morphing. I was like, this can't be real. That's like wow, this is egregious. This is like over the top. There, you know, but like. But then I started to realize I, I got I felt like the point was that it, it's just it's a bit it's quite salacious, but that's kind of the fun of it. But do you you agree that like the degree of corruption is 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 more extreme than in reality? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's definitely a heightened realism to the show yeah. where there's a lot of there's a lot of larger than life goofy characters who, if you saw that in real life, you'd be like. That's a little bit ridiculous, uh, especially the you know the Wags character is pretty over the top sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. That's that's kind a little bit of what I liked about the show, where I felt like it was its its goofiness would just kind of like put a s- smile on my face. It would just make me sort of chuckle, as opposed to like a show where everything is just. You 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 mentioned uh, Ozarks, and I like Ozarks, but it, it it can feel a little exhausting sometimes because it's so intense and you know everything's so s- serious and life life and death in that show. 
Yeah, it's very dark. I do find Ozark's kind of like morbidly funny sometimes, but I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, to give an idea, like what we're talking about, like you know, the thing that like first caught my eyes, like you know, the um, um, what is it? The uh, yeah, Paul Giamatti's character at the time, he was the um, U.S. attorney, um, and you know, he's like he uh, tries to manipulate a journalist. Um, by like threatening him and then the ex, the hedge fund manager like promises him a job, you know, like some cush job somewhere, an interview with some company that he wants to work for. And it's like, like they immediately fold, you know, and I'm not saying those things don't happen, but I think they're a lot more rare than they are common in this show, that kind of thing, whether it's the, you know, the, the, the U.S. attorney, like planting evidence or, you know, um, um, you know, manipulating, blackmailing somebody constantly, you know, like do, dealing, wheeling and dealing, like not just like, uh, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but like, you know, I'll throw your father in prison if you don't like, you know, uh, give me some dirt on this guy, you know, like it's like very extreme scenarios. Um, but that's the fun of it. Um, and as well as like the um, uh, Davi Axelrod, the hedge fund manager, owner guy like he's like an he's not like a real human being he's like you know he's the smartest guy in the room he's like he parties hard he he works out he has a hot wife he drives a fast car i mean it's like everything is just like characterization the hyper characterization of of what you think that is like he you know he knows he knows every move 10 moves ahead of everybody else and like um he's an awful person but he's also a good guy and he's kind of you can envy parts of him. So that's like what you're saying is like certain times you're like, Oh, they're a piece of garbage. And other times you're like, yeah, you're cheering for him. So that's, that's a fun part of the show. Yeah. Both, both main characters definitely, you know, they get themselves in a lot of pickles and they always get themselves <laughs> out of it. And in real life, you know, it would catch up with them, you know, uh, Paul Giamatti's character, Chuck Rhodes, there's, there's, you know, 15 to 20 things he does in the pursuit of what he would perceive as justice that are either against the law or pretty questionable, and it just never catches up with him. He just sort of finds his way out of it every time. And, you know, in real life, event, you know, eventually he would get caught. Eventually it would trip something. Yeah. Would How trip him think, up. At, like, the... The, cause you're, you're a lawyer, like the, the lying side of things, like, I mean, again, like the corruption obviously is over the top, but like, do you feel like they, is it accurate to like true to like the procedure of, of law, you know? Not really. I mean, the, uh, so for those who haven't watched the show, Chuck Rhodes, the prosecutor's wife works for Bobby Axelrod. And in real life, you would, she would, he would have to conflict himself out from the beginning. So the show never really happens. Uh, and if I'm being honest, like all of the financial stuff uh, Bobby Axelrod's talking about with his colleagues, like it doesn't really make that much sense. You just kind of have to like suspend, re not suspend reality, but just sort of like say, okay, well, they're doing some sort of criminal 
financial maneuvering, but I'm not going to stretch my mind too much to understand every detail of what they're talking about. Wait, so do you think it doesn't make sense? I thought it didn't make sense because I just didn't understand how those things work, those financial um, maneuverings work, but you're saying they, they don't make sense? They're just kind of gibberish? I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, that's my guess. A lot of it's just sort of them talking fast and it's gibberish. But I, I could be wrong. I'm not, I don't know any that much about financial markets. Yeah. But, I, mean, uh, I, I, I feel like 90% of the time, I like, actually last night watched a, like a couple of YouTube videos on shorting because, you know, the hedge funds, like they do a lot of shorting. And I was like, oh, I know what that means in theory. Like, you know, I know you're like basically betting on the stock going down, which is what it is. But like, how does that actually work? And it's, I'm not going to try to explain it because I barely understood it. But like, but I feel like 90% of the time they get like insider knowledge that like, oh, you know, the union, the truckers union is going to strike and it's going to screw this company. Or, you know, they've been using child labor and they're going to get, you know, a lawsuit against them. And so... Yeah, yeah, that stuff, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, that stuff, I guess, is pretty, is obviously on its face illegal if they're, you know, using inside information or poisoning some sort of food supply. Oh, yeah, where they're like, uh, yeah, that's that's some of this, the, the level of corruption. They're like outright like to make a stock go down, they like have this this complex plot to uh, poison a juice company where people are like throwing up in the juice store. It's like this very high level of corporate espionage that may happen, but probably, you know, this Michael, was it Michael Clayton, that movie? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. With uh, George Clooney. Yeah, good movie, good movie. Yeah, some of the stuff's just obvious, but like a lot of times when the financial guys are just talking about amongst themselves about all of this maneuvering, I, I I wonder how much of that is real and how much of that is is just them sort of the writers just sort of like coming up with stuff that sounds good. Like you know, shorting shorting stocks isn't. It's weird that that's a thing you can do to just sort of place bets and gamble on stocks, even though you're not buying or selling, you're just sort of making an investment. But as far as I know, like, there's nothing illegal about that. No, yeah, shorting is totally legal. Yeah. Um, it's like mostly they trip, though, that like, the thing that they initially were trying to get Bobby Axler on um, was um, insider trading. He always seems to have this information. Yeah. That's something's going to happen. Um, which is, I don't know, I'm not I'm interested in insider training. It seems like, you know, the whole idea is to know what's going to happen. And people do know, you know, like analysts are like trying to find stuff. So it's just like, where's that line of what, whether it's insider trading or you just did a good job at like, you know, investigating something, you know? So I'm sure there's <laughs> many statutes about that, but uh, they do define it. But I'll have to do some research on, on the topic. I'm interested now in both. Uh, yeah, I think, I th yeah, I think the general idea is publicly available information versus not publicly available information, but I'm sure it gets a lot more complicated than that. I remember years ago reading an article about how certain financial institutions were just making their internet like an eight, a little bit, a little bit faster than the general public's or other businesses as far as just like the information they could get and how that would assist them in 
making money, just having the information like a second earlier than other companies? Oh yeah, there's, I forget the example, but there was something about um, the, something to do with the NASDAQ and you know, where people are doing a trading on wall street, the speed, you know, of like the, you know, the fiber optic cable to get the trades up to the NASDAQ, I guess, or wherever that is. Um, I forget where it was, but like literally like microseconds can mean the difference of getting in a trade ahead of another firm. There was like this whole, like, um, I think investigation into how the, that was being done so that it could equal the playing field because people, they had that microsecond faster. They could, they could beat everybody else out. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you had anything else on it. I think it's a, it's a good show. Uh, easy to watch. It's complex, but also like very entertaining. Like there's complex legal stuff going on and finance, some financial stuff, but like um, it's a lot of like, very complex plot lines, I think. Like a lot of you don't know who's going to end up out on top at the end of a season, but um, but still very it's it's salacious enough that it's very entertaining to watch and fun to watch. So highly recommended. Good job, Omar. What else you got for me? Uh, let me get back to you <laughs> on what what show to recommend next. Last thing, last thing I'd say about this show is, uh, I guess to me the overall theme of it is that. You know the two main characters. They're so they're so focused on. They're they're so focused on getting each other that they're sort of gonna dis- destroy themselves. That you know they're right. sort of just losing themselves in their aggression, going after each other. And I kind of I'm a little bit ahead of you in the show, but yeah, I kind of feel like that's sort of the theme. I'm getting from it that, you know, they're kind of like blinding themselves with trying to get everything they want out of life and to win that they're sort of, because as this show goes on, I kind of empathize with both characters less and less. They're just sort of, they're kind of slowly becoming monsters. And I'm kind of hoping the current season's the last season because it's gone to the point where they're not as much fun to really watch anymore, which isn't a criticize criticism of the show. I think that's kind of the whole point of the show. Yeah. Uh, sh- should we wrap? Should we wrap it up? Do we have anything else to talk about before we get going? Uh, yeah, I think we're good. Uh, I got to start doing some laundry and packing. Hit the road on Saturday morning. Yeah. One. One last thing is, I think tomorrow's a pretty cool day for new music releases. Uh, My Morning Jacket have a new album coming out tomorrow. So does Margot Price. So some fun, okay. maybe some fun stuff to listen to on your commuter. Yeah, I'll give them both a shot. I haven't liked My Morning Jacket uh, album in a long time, but I'll always give it a shot. Um, and Margot Price is good, so I'll, I'll put that on. That's coming out tomorrow? Yeah, I think both albums are out tomorrow. All right, cool. I'll check those out. Check them out. Yep. All right, well, I don't know. Let's wrap it up there then. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Send us an email at plasticcupsinsidepapercups at gmo.com. Let us know what you think about advantages, disadvantages of being a wild animal and first being a human. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and later, Boomer. Yeah, two boomers signing off. (laughs) See you.
Joking! Okay.